Thank you for joining us today. My name is Fritz Wood, and again, I'm pleased to be joined by my friend and colleague, Jesse Bunsey, personal financial planner with Tri-In Financial Partners here in Kansas City. And Jesse and I share a lot of clients in common, including young veterinarians. Jesse, welcome. And today's topic is establishing and protecting credit. So I thought it would make sense, Jesse, if you would just start off by telling us in your sort of life experience between yourself and your friends and neighbors and colleagues and coworkers your age, how important is this credit score and does it matter? And uh, I'll get into later, you know, the different things that contribute to it. But if you could just kind of tell us from your general perspective, is this something that people ought to be concerned about? Absolutely. I mean, in today's day and age, it's very unlikely that anyone coming out of school is going to be able to pay cash for everything that they are going to purchase. I mean, namely a home. I haven't met anyone who comes right out of school and can pay cash for a home. And because credit can have a big impact on the interest rate and the types of financing that you can get for all kinds of different things, it's something that's very important to manage. It's also very important to ensure that as you are building credit and utilizing credit, that you do it wisely, that you make sure that you're not overextending yourself. As in today's environment, it's it's very, very easy to do. Companies make it very easy to do. Well, and I've always found it ironic, and I alluded to this in the web conference, that one of the best ways for people to build credit, ironically enough, is through use of a credit card. And of course, I'm talking about responsible use of a credit card and paying it off in full each month and not incurring any interest expense nor ever any late payment fees. But the fact that these credit card companies report on a monthly basis to the credit reporting companies makes credit card an ideal way for somebody to begin to establish credit. I've always been told that having no credit is identical to having poor credit. Yeah, I've had many clients who, for instance, maybe coming out of undergrad were very lucky to not have any student loans. And when they did go to get a credit card, for instance, maybe they travel a lot and they wanted a card with airline miles, they weren't able to get it. And so a good way to do that and to also make sure that you keep your own behavior in check is to look at something like a secured credit card where you do have to make a cash deposit up front. And that's a really good way to pay for things like gas. Some places will even let you pay your rent on a credit card, and I would certainly suggest only doing that with a secured credit card, but it's a good way to make regular payments and to be able to establish a credit history. It seems to me that the pendulum swings. It's more difficult now to get credit than it has been probably in most periods of my lifetime, and I think it's because banks overextended and loaned people that never had any intention of paying it back. I tell the students, you know, that upon graduation that the only number that will matter to them the rest of their life will be their credit score. On graduation day, the GPA goes out the window as far as a number that matters, and the number that matters suddenly becomes your credit score. And I thought I would just kind of frame this for people at home to understand how this works, that there are three discrete standalone companies. Their names are Equifax, Experian, and TransUnion. They are uh, credit reporting companies, and think of them as like Big Brother. They've been following your financial behavior, particularly as it relates to credit or debt, since your 18th or 21st birthday. And each of them has a file on you. Now, if they don't have any file at all, again, that would indicate you have no credit, and so it's going to be hard for you to, to get credit if you have none. It's kind of a catch-22, and that's 
why Jesse mentioned and recommended the secured card. My observation is that a credit score becomes important in about a half a dozen really important times in my life. When I'm renting an apartment, you know, if a landlord has two tenants to choose from and one has good credit and one has poor credit, the landlord would obviously choose the person with the better credit or maybe charge the person with the lesser credit a higher rent or a bigger security deposit. Number two, in most states, it is perfectly legal for employers to discriminate against people with poor credit, which some would argue is unfair, but others would argue maybe as a business owner, I don't want someone you know, with $100,000 in credit card debt hanging around cash register or around my controlled drugs. A typical home in the United States that could be purchased by someone with really good credit and someone with not such good credit, the person with not such good credit will spend on a $300,000 house, the person with not such good credit will spend about $100,000 more on that same house. Just in terms of a higher interest rate, they would be required to pay. I mentioned in the web conference, the median priced car in the United States last year was $35,000. The person with good credit will end up paying about $5,000 less for that car simply because they secured a lower interest rate. We're going to talk later and at length about buying into a veterinary clinic, but one of the only prerequisites of borrowing money to buy a veterinary clinic is having good credit. And then finally, insurance companies have noted that people with poor credit tend to file more claims. And so if you are someone with poor credit, you will over your lifetime continuously pay greater amounts for insurance than the same person who has good credit. One of the things that the federal government makes available to all of us is a free look inside of our credit files from each of those three companies, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, once a year. So I would encourage you to visit annualcreditreport.com and click on whichever credit report you would like to see. What I would recommend, and let me give you two different rules here. If I were preparing today to borrow money, then it would be important to me that I not have errors in any of my credit reports. So I would want to look at all of them, and I'd want to change or challenge any errors that I found. But if I'm not looking to borrow money today, what I would instead recommend that you do is look at one of your credit reports every four months. So here we are in August of uh, 2016. So in August, you might go to annualcreditreport.com and click on the Experian file. Then you could have a look at it. Again, free, no solicitations. Don't have to give them your credit card number to get this. And then four months later, it would be December. And so four months later, you, you go back out and you look at a different one. First time you looked at Experian, this time you go out and look at Equifax. And then four months after that, it's April, and you go out and look at TransUnion. So what you're doing is you're looking at one of your files every four months. And I think that's just a smart way of doing things. Let's talk about the five things that impact your credit score. The first one and the most prominent and the one that accounts for 35% uh, of your credit score is something called your payment history. So the four key words that I always tell people are on time, in full. So if you just had to adopt a strategy on how you're going to choose to pay your bills in your lifetime, you can never do better than on time and in full. And that is the single biggest driver of your credit score, that you are penalized for paying late. And of course, it's a continuum. Imagine a continuum where 
on one end, you're never paying late. And then just as you inch along the, the continuum, you know, you paid 30 days late or a little further along the continuum, 60 days or 90 days late or always 30 days late or 60 days late. And again, you can see as you, you know, you go on down the line, had an account written off as a bad debt or got an account in collection or had a car repossessed or got evicted from an apartment or foreclosure on a home or personal bankruptcy. So there's this huge long continuum. But the best thing you can do for your credit history and positioning yourself to pay the lowest interest rate possible is simply to pay your bills on time and in full. So we strongly recommend that you have a system in place, you know, electronic or otherwise, to where it's virtually impossible for you to pay your bills late. You really should put them on remote control. Things like student loans in particular should be set up as automatic deductions. Things like mortgage payments just simply cannot be late. The second biggest item impacting your credit score is the amount you owe. It's really the amount you owe expressed as a percentage of the total available credit. This is a little bit confusing, but imagine in your mind if you had a credit card that had a $1,000 limit, and if you were using $500 that had a $500 balance on that card that had a $1,000 limit, you would be using 50% of your available credit. Well, using 50% of your available credit makes you a pretty risky person, and so that drives your credit score lower. So when you apply for credit, you really want to be using as small a percentage of your available credit as you can. The third item, and by the way, so those first two items are 65% of your credit score. So if you pay your bills on time and in full, and if you keep your credit card balance at hopefully zero because you're paying them in full every month, that you're two-thirds of the way to a perfect credit score. You know, the third item, and it accounts for 15% of your credit score, is what's called the length or duration of your credit history, that once an account, and I'm not talking here about bank accounts and things like that, I'm talking about credit accounts, so things like credit cards. Once an account has been open for two years or longer, uh, it is generally going to be detrimental to your credit score to close that account. So this is kind of going against conventional wisdom here. The idea is once an account is open, particularly if it's been open for two years or longer, you're better off leaving it open as far as your credit score is concerned. And then the last two items, each accounting for 10% of the credit score. One is new credit. You know, if you today sat down with a mortgage broker and then stopped by a car dealership, you know, your score would have gone down quite a bit because it looks like you're getting ready to buy a house and it looks like you're getting ready to buy a car because you stopped at these places and they're going to do a credit check. And the reason they do credit checks is because they're getting ready to loan money to someone. So if you apply for new credit, your score will go down. And then also they like to see the last one, the last 10%, different kinds of credit handled. In other words, the more evidence they have about how you've behaved in the past gives them greater assurance how you're going to behave in the future. So if they see, oh, look at her, she's managing that credit card, paying it in full every month. Look at her, she's managing her student loans, making on-time payments just like clockwork. Oh, look, she's got that car loan or that rent payment, or that mortgage payment. So certainly we would never encourage people to go in debt just so they can prove that they'll pay it back. But the fact is, they're looking at all the available evidence, and the more evidence they have, the more comfortable that they are, that you'll pay them back. So just overall credit tips, check your credit reports. The reason you have access to these is that there's about an 80% likelihood that you'll have an error in them. And by the way, you dispute directly at the site you're on. For example, you go to annualcreditreport.com, you look at your Experian report, and you see a Discover card that was written off as uncollectible, and that bothers you because you've never had a Discover card your whole life. 
well, you would appeal it right there at that site with Experian. So it's up to Experian to go back to discover and investigate this in a timely fashion. Another thing I think that's important for people to know is, and a mistake I often see people make, is if you have a store card, so I'm talking here about a piece of plastic in your wallet or purse that does not say Discover or MasterCard or American Express on it. So maybe it says Lowe's or maybe it says Home Depot or maybe it says PetSmart or Land's Inn or L.L. Bean. Typically, the credit limit on that card is the most you've ever spent before at one time. So typically, the credit limit on a store card is going to be less than $800. So the bottom line is if you use a store card, you've already maxed it out. If you have a BP card you know, to buy gas, if you fill up with gas, you just maxed that card out. So I discourage people from using or certainly from carrying a balance on a store card. But again, the best you can do with credit cards is pay them off in full every month. Once an account's open, keep it open. Do avoid opening new accounts unless you absolutely need them. I don't know, Jesse, what you think. I think most people could probably get by with one credit card. I mean, I tend to carry two just because one of the ones I prefer is not taken everywhere. So so I end up having to two. But if you carried a major, like a Visa or MasterCard, you could probably get by in life with one credit card. And I know there's a host of web-based kind of robot shopping services out there to, to try to place you with just the right credit card. So you might look at things like, you know, creditcards.com, credit.com, cardweb.com. I'm sure there's many others, but they ask questions like, well, do you intend to pay it off every month? And if you answer that yes, then they're not so interested in finding a card with a low interest rate because you just told them you weren't going to carry a balance. So then the next question might be, well, do you care about paying an annual fee, yes or no? And if so, how much? And oh, by the way, do you prefer cash back? Any particular stores you frequent? Do you want frequent flyer miles? Is there any airline that you frequent? And, you know, frankly, you may have to begin with a secured card if you don't have any credit at all to begin with. But I've been awfully long-winded here today. Jesse, what are your thoughts or comments as I've gone along as it relates to some of these issues in regard to the folks that you're working with? Well, I certainly agree with your premise that most people can get by with one, maybe two credit cards. Oftentimes, I will have people who kind of want to play the credit card game, and there's certainly different programs out there that people espouse that you roll balances from card to card to card. And then there's also right. the points game where you can get points for purchases, and if you are positive that that is in no way influencing your purchasing decisions, then that's great. I mean, if you're just using it for purchases that you know that you would already make, that's great. I mean, I have two credit cards. I have one that I use personally, and I have one that I use for business expenses just to more easily keep those separate. And I've never been in a position where I've been someplace where one of those two was not accepted. And so I do strongly recommend, as you kind of ended with, looking at secured credit cards as they're a great way to build credit, but also keep yourself in check. Make sure that you are not overspending. And oftentimes when people do attempt to play, and I oftentimes do call it the credit card game with either trying to get the best points, you know, especially with that, you certainly in most cases want to avoid paying an annual fee for that card, as oftentimes that can negate much of the value that you get. But what I find is most people don't spend enough money on credit cards where the time that they spend shopping around for all of these different points or trying to transfer balances actually nets them much profit at all. So it's really best just to keep things simple. The one thing for sure we would always agree on is 
do not carry a balance from month to month. Do not incur late payment penalties or fees, and don't buy things that you wouldn't buy if you were paying cash. Absolutely, and the more credit cards that you have, the greater the chances that you might forget to pay one. And so that's another great reason to kind of keep it simple. I agree. Jesse, I appreciate you being with us today. Do you have any final comments you'd shared as it relates to this overall theme of, of credit and protecting your credit? Yeah, I mean, I would say it's kind of a two-headed beast where it's something that as young people, simply we have to deal with it. It's very important to be intentional, very aware of what's going on with your credit, to check it regularly. You mentioned before 80% of credit reports have some sort of an error, and the only way that you can identify those, and some people even identify identity theft, is to keep a close eye on things before you decide you're wanting to make a decision. But then kind of the other side of things is making sure that you don't let utilizing credit and knowing that it's going to be a part of most people's lives cause you to over-utilize credit, which very often can not only have consequences for your long-term financial plan, but it can have family consequences and ultimately numerically consequences on your credit score. Very good. I appreciate that, Jesse. And I, I just wanted to circle back. I think one thing that I get a question about, you may not agree with, but I'll just kind of throw it out there. Picking up right here. One of the questions I often get from students and new graduates is the wisdom of subscribing to, let's call it a credit watch, credit monitoring type service. And, and Jesse, is that a good spend in your estimation? I think so, yes. There are a multitude of different services at different price ranges that have different levels of protection all the way from basic credit protection through full identity theft and, and even insurance essentially against the costs that are associated with identity theft. But I've known several people personally that had their identity stolen. I don't know a single person that hasn't at some point had a credit card or a debit card compromised. And so it may seem like money that you're just throwing away year after year if nothing happens, but when something does happen and in the world that we live in, it's more and more likely each year as things get more sophisticated technologically, it's pretty good money to spend when you have to actually deal with the issue. And we'll either take that or, or my response actually is contradictory, and that's okay. We'll just figure out which one we want to use later. But, you know, in my experience, those programs, those credit monitoring, credit protection programs, and they even admit this, I guess, in their advertising, that at best they can notify you after the fact. And, you know, what I tried to discern is what is our risk here? And so, for example, if someone, you know, if I misplace my checkbook, let's say, you know, that's going to require forgery or any sort of bank transaction is going to require some sort of forgery of my signature. And, and I don't remember what the bank limits are. To my knowledge, there's never been anybody that lost a dollar to a bank that way. And the same thing's true with our credit cards. I want to say that we're liable up to $50. But the fact is, I don't think anybody in the country could ever find anybody that's ever been out 50 bucks because the credit card companies are really on the hook here for odd. And, and, and this is just my observation as someone that travels a great deal and gets a call out of the blue from American Express strangest times of days and nights saying, hey, were you just here and did you buy a sandwich at Subway? In my estimation, the most sophisticated fraud monitoring services are employed by the people who have the money to lose, and that's the credit card companies. And so, and I'm regularly getting calls from them, checking on my spending behavior to make sure it's me. And so I'm not sure monetarily 
I've never met a person that could have lost a dollar here. I mean, certainly there's a headache and probably a two-year process of setting the record straight and getting your credit record cleaned up, but I'm sure I wouldn't pay the $10 a month or whatever the service fee is, but we can figure that out later. Well, yeah, thinking about my response, I took it more of the people who, you know, have people taking out loans, find that someone has taken out a loan under their name, that kind of stuff, which is more of the full-on identity theft. I definitely agree with specifically the last thing you said. My credit card got compromised. I got a call from American Express literally within an hour of it happening. So I agree with that. I I think I took it more the full-on identity theft direction. Well, and and my thought on that side was if someone's going to bother to look at their credit report, Experian, Equifax, or TransUnion reports, you know, periodically, I mean, that's, I agreed with what you said earlier. That, in my estimation, that's how people learn of that sort of identity theft is they'll see a credit card that they did not apply for. They'll see a loan that they did not apply for. And that's when, you know, something's gone wrong here. Raise red flags. And again, it's up to the credit reporting company to investigate and resolve that in a timely fashion. Yeah. You know, certainly most people don't actually look at their credit report on a regular basis. So, I mean, the liability, I don't know if it's $50 or exactly what it is, but I don't know that I've come across a single person who had a credit card, identity theft, full-on identity theft is, of course, different, which is the direction I took it, but myself included, that's ever lost a dollar. Well, very good. You know, the fact is, in modern American life, there will be times when virtually all of us will probably be required to borrow money, a home, for example, or a veterinary practice, or maybe an education or an automobile, although we wouldn't recommend it with automobiles. And when that time comes, a lender is going to look at your credit score And I guess I didn't really talk much about that, but these three companies, Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion, send their data to a company in Minneapolis. Two fellas' last names, Mr. Fair and Mr. Isaac, have a company called Fair, Isaac, and Company. And if you cared to look at the acronym, it would be FICO. You've probably heard of your FICO score. All of us have FICO scores. All of us have multiple FICO scores. You would have a FICO score for Experian and Equifax and TransUnion, for example, just to name three. So if I'm a car dealer or a mortgage lender, I do not want to sift through uh, 20 pages of a credit report or 60 pages, 20 pages from three different companies. What I want is a three-digit number that tells me whether or not I should loan you money, and if so, at what interest rate. And that's the FICO score. So whenever you go to borrow money, you will never go to borrow money without someone very specifically knowing what your FICO score is. So what creates that score is these three reports, and that's why it's important that they not have any errors in them. And then just behaviorally, paying your bills on time, paying your bills in full, not carrying a credit card balance, but paying your credit card bill also in full and on time are really you know things you can do that put you a long way towards having a lifetime advantage over your colleague who fails to do the same. So we appreciate your time and attention today and look forward to you joining us on our next exciting podcast.